and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's a South Texan poppy poet living that hashtag middle class gay life. It's Chibi. She's a little bit Selena, a little bit JLo, and a whole lot of Pisces. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. Raquel! <laughs> Hi. Hi. I know. I'm so excited to do this episode with you. This is going to be our first time ever. Usually, for those who are chiming in, um, Rooster comes in and subs for me. And you are now subbing for uh, Chibi. And so yes. this means I get to speak with you. <laughs> this is true. We'll, we'll so, rock with it. We'll, we'll rock, rock with, with it. it. All right. All right. All right. Cool. Cool. But how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling, um, I'm a little tired. Um, I know that I'm definitely kind of like feeling a little old. I had to do an orientation with some of my students. Uh, we were bringing them in for specifically to help us with our social media and TikTok. And I feel kind of old. I'm not going to lie. I love that. Our, for those who just probably didn't see for who are listening, um, usually Shibi and I, we have our profiles at the very beginning of this, and I was really surprised that you threw up like a throwback photo of me of when I was like 25. Like, wow. You used to get on me all the time for catfishing people with like my 25-year-old photo when I was like in my early 30s, and welcome to the club. This is what we do. We just, well, we just, you have to hang on to the quality selfies. That's really all it is. I feel old too. Um, I, I have been hosting a poetry workshop with like 13 year olds the last week, the last few days, and they could care less about what I got to say. Yeah. They're really into something called Roblox, which I had never heard of, which is apparently a mm -hmm. computer game. And when I told them that I have no idea what this is, like you would have thought I, didn't know what planet earth was like they just were just they, and, and, it, and we were so like crass about it too like uh you don't know what roblox are and i'm like listen here 13 year old okay i've seen a lot of cool shit in my lifetime so let's not throw stones all right i know they really are out there just like they laugh at me where i'm just like period and they're just like Ooh, stop <laughs> just who are you like you're showing your age i'm like well i have I'm, i feel like i'm youthful right uh people really mistaken me for being younger than what i am until i start talking and they're just like mm, mm, what day are you what oh are you part of the 19 like what what did i say oh the 1900s you're part of you were born in the 1900s wow <laughs> they have no shame <laughs> no shame tragic tragic oh man but i think you know feeling about like pretty old i feel like we're I mean, we are kind of getting older, but we're, you know, we're still kind of young. Um, but I think, you know, our, our new guest for the evening, um, she definitely is not really new to the scene, but she's def definitely giving this like new voice of poetry specifically in Latina, Latine um, poetry that is well needed, right? Texas. Um, what? Yes. Um, from Houston, right? Or San Antonio and a little bit of Houston. Can we, Rooster, please announce our guest? Yes. Uh, today we have Analicia Soltero, uh, who is the author of Virgin, this amazing book right here, uh, the inaugural winner of the Jake Adam New York Prize, selected by Ross Gay for Milkweed Editions 2018, and the chapbook, Nonstop Godhead, selected by Rioberto Gonzalez for Poetry Society of America. The poem, I am trying to write a poem about a virgin and it's awful, was selected for Best New Poets 2015 by Tracy K. Smith. Uh, poems have also appeared in The New Yorker, Boston Review, The Nation, Kenyan Review, Poem A Day, and The New England Review. Analicia uh, is a Canto Mundo Fellow and the recipient of the 2016 Disquiet International Literary Prize. Analicia holds an MFA in poetry from the University of the H-Town. Please give a warm round of applause, audience, for our guest, Analicia Soltero. I'm so excited to have you. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. Can't wait. Absolutely. 
I know. I feel like I, I, I didn't do the H town like hand correctly. It's okay. It's okay. It's, I just feel, I don't feel cool today. That's basically what I'm getting at. <laughs> I, yeah. I like never, that never works for me. Like I'm not cool enough to make that work like, naturally. Yeah. <laughs> like we just try too hard. It's okay. Actually. It's so, you know, I think you're a pretty cool person and usually we have, we start off this segment um, is, you know, you're going to be, delving into intimate things about yourself and we just want to do a check-in so i want to know like how's your heart today friend how's your heart today how's your heart this year this month you know yeah 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 um today this year this month i mean it's been a crazy year uh today i'm feeling pretty good my, my heart's a little like harried like a lot had a lot of stuff to do and had to run from this to that to this uh but i'm really excited about this time right here like getting to talk to other amazing creative people and be able to just like connect with some new people and see you know see to see if they like it if they do they can reach out to me on social media and i love to be in contact with like Pretty much anyone who loves writing so that's what i'm kind of about that's where my heart is right now and uh yeah mm, great awesome well we're very happy to have you uh we want to jump right into this segment that we call speed dating where we're going to ask you just like a quick series of questions uh just to kind of for the audience to kind of get to know you better and you can feel like uh, however you feel about answering them as succinctly or like long as you want to um so uh, my first question, uh, Analicia, is what is your latest obsession? Like, what's something you're finding yourself really obsessed about these days? Ugh, latest obsession. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I'm getting back into my bad reality TV sort of yes. habit. You know, I'm watching The Bachelorette right now, much to, you know, certain people's dismay, but whatever, I'm doing it. Uh, I love watching stuff about people falling in love and you it's kind of theater but it's also like is there something there and you get to like decide which characters might be together and watch things unfold and you inevitably get to see somebody behave badly and ruin everything so i love that um and i'm also really obsessed with like the like creatively i'm really obsessed with oranges right now i have no idea mm -hmm. what it means yet but my uh grandparents they had a great-grandparents they had like a beautiful orange tree in their like backyard it was beautiful to me but in retrospect like i don't even know how beautiful it was but it's like so big and looming and amazing and so i'm kind of doing that right now like playing with like secret garden kind of a feel and seeing what unfolds so. all right all right great i know i feel like um you don't know rooster rooster definitely has like an orange tree in the backyard he's been taking a lot of like selfies so i definitely could understand i feel like i'm left out i feel like i should have some type of orange tree to relate to it's okay it's not really. <laughs> it'll happen when it needs to happen and then you're going to remember this <laughs> yes i will i will and i'll tag you in my little selfie <laughs> <laughs> all right so next like for my question so what is your current favorite overused word it can be both in english and spanish either way um okay favorite overused word english or spanish oh i mean there's just so many i think phrases right now are kind of what i'm loving the most so lately i've been saying like i'm not loving this like all this i'm not loving mm. uh it's a way of, like coping with like okay that's crazy and these are the things that i'm gonna enjoy um but i love all sorts of crazy little words. I mean, I love when people use the phrase, like the word delicious to describe things that shouldn't really be delicious in any context. It's just it's a fun time. Okay. Okay. All right. I see that. Um, yeah. All right. So for this question, it doesn't have to be very deep, but it can be if you'd like. What is something you have been putting off that you need to get to? Hmm. Okay. Um, well, probably writing poems. <laughs> um, I'm writing them. I am writing them, but it's like, I've gotten to the point where I need to be good with myself and have all my things in order before I can mm. do that, you know? And so I got to take care of the day-to-day -day stuff, got to like do my health stuff, this sort of thing, catch up with family and friends, like make sure that balance is there. And then I can really focus on 
creating things um, and kind of going into some of the like uh, how to get some of those darker spaces. Sometimes navigating writing and creativity, at least for me, is very much about figuring out like how to sort of swim through that darkness mm-hmm. and still come out into the light and be like, I'm still me. Um, totally. Go in and like adventure through those subterranean aspects of the self that you wouldn't even expect. So, to do all that, you kind of have to be, I feel like, uh, emotionally ready to do that. Almost like you're gonna, mm. you're in track. You need to prepare for that long, long distance run. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now, is doing my little exercises to kind of get ready. No, absolutely. It's like the work life balance is one thing, but then also like, artist creative balance is like a whole other element to it and it disrupts all types of things so i totally understand what you're talking about (laughs) all right so this is our final question and i feel like it's a classic one um but if you could have dinner with anyone it could be alive like they could be dead who would it be and what are you eating with them um so it would be my boyfriend who's the most amazing cook uh, so I feel super lucky. Like after we talk, I get to go and eat something made fresh at home. Um, uh, and the, my favorite thing to have that dinner would be, oh gosh, there's so many things. I absolutely love food of all kinds. Mm-hmm. All cuisines. And the nice thing about being in Houston is you can have your selection of pretty much anything you could ever wonder about. Sure. So Anyway, uh, so he can also make a lot of different cuisines, but my favorite is, uh, my personal favorite food item is mole enchiladas. Um, but I mean, the options are limitless, so. Mm-hmm. And I'm how not- do you do, I'm all like, it needs mole, cause you know, mole is a little different between different people, right? They put a little bit more chocolate, a little bit more peanut butter, or peanuts, or like a little bit more spice. Like how does, how does a mole taste for you? Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I like, I like a good amount of spice, but I also am sadly Americanized in that I really want a little bit of like mozzarella cheese on it, even though I know it's not <laughs> as traditional. Um, so, uh, but I'll take any kind of mole anywhere. Like the amount of work that has to go into making it, and all these different people put all their soul and energy into something, like it's really incredible. And so it just feels like this special thing. Okay, great. I know. I'm like now starting to get a little hungry. I, I feel like there's not good more or good like true Mexican food or ne- more like Tex-Mex food here in New York. So I always, you know, indulge people when they want to talk about Mexican food. <laughs> All right. So that concludes our portion of speed dating. So we're actually going to transition to your first poem, right? We're here to hear your words. Um, so those who are here in the the Facebook Live and also for YouTube. This is your chance to shine. Please, if you hear anything uh, in the poems that either really uh, vibrate with you, you know, use the comment section just to give some love, give some hollers, some virtual snaps, you know. If you have any questions or you just like really feel aligned, do it. Go for it. Go into the comment section. Um, And yeah, if you can take it away. Um, This is going to be great. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and speaking of enchiladas, I'm going to go with this poem uh, called Family Portrait with Enchiladas and a Movie. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, we were just kind of talking about our age range. And for me, when I was young, the movie Twister was just this movie I'd watch over and over um, with my family. And so that kind of inspired some of this uh, that you're going to hear now. Uh, so we'll see what you think. I hope you like it. Um, all right. Picture this, my heart as thick orange as manteca as we turn on Twister for what has to be the 16th time since 1996. And my parents are tired of it now, but I really begged for it for the sake of tradition. Helen and Bill embarrassingly in love, the wind turning in circles like the witch is at it again. The Philip Seymour Hoffman witch with hair like herbicide wheat fields and a ceremonious voice that slices right through metal. When we have enchiladas for dinner, I can't help it. I have two, then three, then four and a half servings with rice and even the beans swimming in their curls of gelatinous bacon and gomino. Each piece hangs in the stew like a comma, like a coconut dad says of my eating habits, but I had to save room for cheese piled high and sharp, melting right 
into my personal nostalgia. Meanwhile, I will celebrate enchiladas, those mounds of earth going straight to the confused gut, the gut with no country. Doesn't Alexa Vega, the light-skinned Latina from Spy Kids, play the Oklahoma girl who sees her father ascend the F5 god, later played by Helen? Her hair is like my sister's, a sweet golden brown that confuses people, but she's the first to rant about white privilege at dinner, swinging her fork around like a squall until you're at one end of the table only to end up at the other exactly like a helpless cow. Growing up, dad would turn on the surround sound as we took cover under the colchas, an average storm outside, our apartment small but sonically ambitious, and the threat not exactly there, but they're all the same. We've never forgotten what could have happened and could still happen at any time and with no warning, sending us right into that Midwestern debris where the basements are filled with strange blank faces that rise heavy as spoonfuls on spoonfuls of bodies. Does nature think we're in the way or is it trying to solve a curiosity? Have we been chased into the eye of the eye, the fat luxury of the eye? Uh, so that was that. <laughs> hey. hey, awesome! Thank you so much. So uh, I kind of want to dive right in because I, after reading uh, uh, Virgin and then hearing this piece, I noticed that, and not just your work, but also like the work of like Jose Olivares and Carla Codero and a few other poets who who I know. It's like there's this new generation of. Mexican American, Latino, Latinx American writers who return to like nostalgia of Americanness as opposed to like previous generations of writers and poets who kind of would take it back to like traditional or other countries or our own mythologies and stuff like that. Um, I guess my question is, is like, how do you feel about that? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, like. What an amazing question. I love that you're picking up on that. and. You know, I think, I think, especially with this poem, some of the things that I was wrestling with were, there's just a lot that's lost between generations, but there's also a lot of guilt. And then there's also things to celebrate, right? If you're a family and you're in your home and you're eating enchiladas that are home cooked, spending time with, that's something to celebrate. But then there's also this like, these other threads right, of things that were lost, or little teasing, like there's just one part in this poem that has, uh, you know, the teasing about being a coconut, which I feel like is an act of realism, like people would say that, you know, and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, part of that is about, you know, trying to decide, I think, what, what makes me feel connected to my family traditions, and what is it about this, you know, like, is it about cheese or no cheese? <laughs> Um, is it about knowing all the layers and hearing the family stories and, you know, getting to know kind of the cultural traditions with each generation? Because, you know, in the first generation, it might be like, okay, this is how, this, these are the kinds of things we cook. And the second generation could be like, okay, well, we could never afford the extras, so it was just beans. Third gen generation, maybe it was like, we can get whatever we want, <laughs> hopefully, you know, things if things kind of work out and there's some stability. And uh, we can also explore new foods like sushi. If, you know, so it's, I think for me and for some of those other writers, um, something I'm noticing is there's an interrogation of these things with a sense of humor, but also with a sense of balance. Like the story is not one narrative, it's a story of multiple narratives. And like, how can we speak to some of that complexity while also celebrating and then while also going, there's a lot of sort of issues underneath everything that's happening. So. I, I do love Jose's work a lot. And so uh, I see what you mean there. And uh, I don't know, I'm just excited thinking about Jose's work. Um, but food is certainly something that is um, an access point that we all share. Um, and I feel like it's limitless what you could say about it. Mm -hmm. Like we could keep writing and writing about food and there would still be something to uncover, so. Mm -hmm. I really, really appreciate that, you know, your answer. Um, you know, because I, what really, kind of going off of what you're saying, you know, Rooster's question was, I think the Alexa Vega um, line in your in your poem really got me because I definitely watched Spy Kids, right? And I think to me, Spy Kids was always just like, oh my god, this like let 
Latino family, you know, is they're very white passing, but they're like there, you know, um, and you're even having her question her, like her whiteness and her privilege, right, in this American culture and like also negating, like negotiating what it also means to be Mexican American and how like there can be passing and privilege in that, um, you know, and I think Alexa Vega is just a great millennial, like Latina right to kind of embody this this new generation of latinas um and then speaking of that and that um subject of like latinas you know i think everyone has an idea of what and more traditional latinas or what the narrative of latinas should be and i think definitely in your writing you push that and i kind of want to see like you know what kind of if you could describe what kind of latina you are like self-identify or or basically what kind of Latina do you want to portray to your to your audience? Oh gosh, yeah, that's a really great question. Um, uh, kind of Latina I am right now. I mean, I feel, gosh, so I'm, so many things are running through my head right now. You know, I think it's really important if you're going to be like if for me, just for me. This is my personal experience. If you're going to call yourself Latina, that means that you look for other Latinas to support, or you find ways to like share what you learned and like, and conduct some mentorship. And I think about that too, with kind of the term Chicana, which I know has another history. And like, I don't want to claim a historical period that I wasn't really growing up in, but some of my best mentors were Chicana feminists um, of all kinds. Uh, and um, they really showed me that you pass on a kind of love. And some people use the term, I guess, chosen family, but I think whether or not you use, use that term, there's still a way of finding people in your community that you connect with, that you want to give to. And so that's how I approach that term for me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I also like really care about uh, language, history, but sometimes I won't, some of my poems don't really talk about um, necessarily like Mexican history or um, mythologies, but it's all up in the air because I'm starting to write some poems about that. And sometimes I never know what's gonna unfold. Mm -hmm. uh, so like for the question of the kind of Latina to portray, I guess for me, the biggest thing I was trying to solve for was that when, when I was trying to write this book, I kept feeling like the poems that I was writing were not delivering to the other people in a way where they really understood what I was trying to accomplish. And I think part of that was the execution of them um, and just like learning how to write a poem. Um, but I think another part of that is that um, there's not really a cultural expectation of something beyond the sort of Latina stereotype. Mm -hmm. if, you know, and this would work for other cultures as, as well, I think, uh, it just depends on the situation. But um, the portrayal of like a Latina as very sensual or the portrayal of a Latina as like a good Catholic girl or, you know, it's along the dichotomy, it's really influenced by um, Spanish uh, colonialism and uh, the violences that ensued. Uh, and so for me, it was important that I write characters that felt authentic to me and in the writing, um, I tried not to put an intention on it because I noticed that when I put an intention on the writing, mm -hmm. it comes off as too try hard or it comes off as like defensive. Mm -hmm. And instead, I just want to swim in a world that feels like the character that I'm creating and see what happens. And so when, when I started to shift to that, what came forth was a highly intellectual type character, somebody who's interested in philosophy or interested in you know, different cultural things and isn't necessarily tied to one perception of the self, um, isn't necessarily central and isn't necessarily virginal, but is somewhere in between and complicated and messy with it. Um, but mostly this idea of the intellect, I think was the most important thing for me to explore with this character, uh, this person that's in the book, because um, I just felt like in my personal interactions in different uh, spaces, sometimes white spaces, there's this, this uh, <laughs> I don't know, so I don't want to like make assumptions, <laughs> um, but sometimes it I would get like, you know, comments like, oh, you know, you're innocent or, oh, you don't have what it takes to be 
a writer and stuff like that, where I just felt like this is because of a lot of different things. One of them might be that I'm just like smiley, who knows? Um, I am very innocent in some ways as well, <laughs> but it, it led me to this investigation of like virginity um, as a concept, like what if there could be a new landscape where you got to see inside the mind of somebody who was authentically a Latina, but might be a different experience than you're expecting. Yeah. What? I'm just already like, I'm already heated for you. Like, wow. The audacity of some people or like, you're just too innocent to write. You can't even like write the hardships of your life. Um, which I think it's just a very kind of tongue in cheek that you were to write your, your, you know, your collection called Virgin. Right. I think that it definitely is a, a way of, of saying like, all right, cool. You're going to call me a virgin, but you're also looking and investigating the complexities of what it is to be a virgin, especially within like that Latina like scope of things. So I, I'm like really upset for you. I'm already heated. Tell me your names. Tell me your names. I'll go. I know, we still have a whole separate conversation. No, it's like, I think part of it is, you know, it's like when people insult with jokes, you know, yeah. it's a little bit like, um, like nagging style you know just people when they're in environments that are creative environments i feel like sometimes they like misbehave a little for fun but it like for me that wasn't the point the real point was like god well i'm about to show you what it looks like you know mm. yeah no totally i think there's a line in a poem that really stood out to me in your book it is my English Victorian dating troubles. And you have this line at the end, or well, a few lines, where you say, oh, gentlemen, I am the angel whore of kale chips. I like to purchase as I please. I am uh, completely in character, so I'll accept your pearls, though I may cut them off with my teeth. And it's mm -hmm. like, I think it's this power, like, to your point, it's really interesting how you, even with like kale chips in that simple, like, idea in this whole book about uh, a virgin and a Latina who has to navigate these spaces. Um, I guess my question is, is you also got your uh, MFA from the University of Houston. How did you sort of, how was navigating that space with maybe some of these ideas or sort of like presenting it in academic settings where a lot of times it is white and it is men and you're kind of coming in as like, I'm not maybe the Chicano poetry you've heard, or I'm not, you know, uh, uh, what is traditionally seen as Mexican American poetry. This is sort of like the spy kids generation of like Latino poetry. And, you know. Yeah, oh, I just love that so much. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, okay. Well, you know, and I think everyone's experience is different. And, and one of the things that I love so much about um, spoken word and, and slam and the communities that they build around them. Like I didn't grow up in that, you know, like the, my first encounter was well after grad school and I went to write out now and I was just, I was just amazed by how it felt to be there. Mm. Like that impressed me. Like someone walked up to me and they were like, hey, who are you? Let's talk, you know, let's be cool. And it was so friendly and it was just this warm giving environment, like, there are people of all different shapes, colors, and sizes too. I didn't realize like that I was in an environment that didn't have a lot of size ranges, right? Mm -hmm. a lot of gender identity ranges. Um, and it was just such a relief to be in that environment. So I'll put that as context for the experience. But um, you know, I think uh, I had a good education at um, you know, I felt excited to be able to mostly to be around my peers. Like I had a lot of really amazing, talented peers that I respect and admire that I met through the program. Um, but the classes themselves were a little more, weren't really about necessarily, uh, you know, approaching your work from the point of your culture or the point of your feelings, right? The model is sort of framed so that you approach the work as work, um, which is like a very different way of doing things. And that's, but as in, so I don't think I was even really aware when I was in grad school of these things. I think I was just trying to survive, to learn how to live in Houston without my family, which as, you know, as a Latina and growing up with a close family, it was very difficult. Um, so trying to figure that part out, trying to figure out like adult loneliness and what that looks like, trying to figure out yeah. all these other people who are at different stages of their life. And um, I didn't even think about publishing or anything like that. And um, 
I think I wrote really not terrible, but not my best poems in my grad program because I was still like practicing how to do the skills or how to you know learn about the history of different pieces. And then when I left, that's when I started writing work like this. So I actually wrote a version of this manuscript in graduate school that I trashed and I started over. Mm. Um, and I think, I think sometimes when you're creating work, it's important to remember that sometimes you need a little healing before you can really get into some of the things that you're trying to get into. And you're like, just not ready to write about them yet. You're like trying, you keep trying and it's not landing. Um, and for me, they were really abstract and they were about love or sorrow or some abstraction of something that I was trying to talk about. Um, and then when I left and I graduated and I was on my own and nobody was really there except for really good friends. Uh, that's when I started going, well, I'm just going to say things directly and let myself discover things and not be sort of the hero of my own poems and see what, let's see what happens. Get messy, get weird and, uh, <laughs> um, treat the artist art and not always as, as if it's wholly about me, even though it's inspired by my life. I don't know if I answered your question. I mean, it oh no, no, you totally did. Like, yeah, like absolutely. It's, I think, yes, you did. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I because when you brought in right about now, I kind of immediately understand what you're saying. Like, I've been there plenty of times. I love it. And shout out to them. They they do have a a much more diverse space, and it's kind of like um, for anyone who hasn't been there, it's it's a great place where if you are a poet who has ever just existed in sort of like. I don't know, like your own, like, so for me in San Antonio, we live in our own sort of nucleus of just like San Antonio poets and this is how we are. And then to go to Houston, um, I can still be authentically San Antonio, but then at the same time there, it's like everyone is their own authentic self. And it's like a beautiful uh, uh, way to sort of rethink just writing and persona and, and the voice in your poem and everything uh, uh, from Rip. So I totally agree with what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. And if you know, if you don't even answer our questions, just to let you know, like it's okay, it's your show. If you can go <laughs> as many tangents as you want, <laughs> okay. Um, I think this is a great like segue to go and and listen to another poem of yours, and you can bless us with that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm really excited. Um, you know, we were just talking about um navigating white spaces and kind of, you know, and I feel like um, Jose Olivares has really good poems that are kind of about this too, where there's like some of us grew up with um, with Chicano poetry as, 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 you know, our elders pass that on to us. And we have a lot of respect for that, you know, and they talked about a lot of the things that are important, but then it's like, where do I fit? What's my spy kids approach? You know, what am I gonna write about that feels true to the experience. And um, so I didn't really have, you know, in graduate school, I didn't feel like I had the opportunity to write about, like I didn't feel motivated to write about my culture in grad school because the space itself didn't give me that receptive energy of, of working off of it. So for example, I went to another residency where I met like four to five Latinas from like all over the nation. And it didn't even matter. It's not like we prompted each other and we were like, hey, write a poem about your experience. But being in that environment made me feel excited about talking about some of those things. So my work has shifted a little bit because of that, um, at least the recent stuff. So this one is called The Most Important Word in This Language. And if you are a heritage speaker, um, which would mean that you can understand Spanish, but you can't speak it fluently, right? Maybe you can carry on a conversation in a market or in an Uber if you have to, but really you don't speak it fluently. Um, and it's something that happens second and third and fourth generation for a variety of historical reasons, which include some of our parents and grandparents being told not to speak Spanish in schools, right? And so this poem is about um, a pact I made with myself that I did not make, make come true which was that I would learn how to speak Spanish so I could speak to my great-grandparents. And it's just too late and they passed away. And this is my, my poem in honor of, of all that. 
The most important word in this language is miércoles, ¿verdad? In English, miércoles. In Spanish, miércoles. What difference does it make? It was the first word I ever learned from my great-grandfather light on the tongue better than the day it describes. My shoes crouching behind the door where the calendar hung onto its days as if each day were another clue. The vessels were dark with each day the coins did not move, dark like moss on the dresser. The thin printed medals of saints were sometimes indistinguishable from others. Miracles, miracles, miracles. Here's a riddle. The dress is not a house, but a shore. And the lace of my great-grandmother's hair is the water from the stove pot, embroidered and hung on the wall. A rosary, her hair one thick wavelength, a waterfall of white, a rosary as large as a person is something to pray for. Miércoles, if I had kept my promise to myself, I would already understand in two languages what their lives were like, what our lives could be like. I think I remember an automat or a hotel with string-bearing celebrities. I think I remember Friday with the marigolds and the orange tree bearing small worlds loved by ants. But it was miércoles. The most beautiful word in our language is the one that takes us and leaves us at the end of every afternoon with a merienda while the lace grows stiff at the dining room table under the plastic, under the condensation under the plastic. ¿Qué quieres, mija? Quiero un miércoles y otro, otro, otro. So. <laughs> Yo. Totally can relate as a heritage yeah. speaker. I, yes. I know. I was, I was like, oh, man, man. Uh, I don't think I've ever really, maybe I once or twice, but heritage speaker. I think that is so so poignant and thank you for I guess giving us that language because so many of us especially in Texas or even multiple generations they just don't know how to speak Spanish fluently um I recently was like trying to order Dominican food and my like the person I was with he was just like oh can you order for us and then I'm like speaking to first of all Dominican Spanish is like super fast <laughs> right and I don't even know and I'm like in my broken Spanish, and he's like, "Oh, I thought you knew Spanish." I'm like, "No, <laughs> I don't. I'll roll my R's pretty, but I don't." And I think that's those um, those moments are so so relatable. Um, so thank you, thank you for that poem. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's true. There's a lot of people who have this experience. Um, yeah, and it's like, I that's the kind of stuff I like to write about is the in between stuff. That you can't quite mm -hmm. you're on and you're like there's something here and it's a weird experience right and then when you write it you meet people and they're like oh there's a lot of people who had this experience too yeah and and i was thinking about i'm sorry chris or chris, no, um you know because you were talking about this residency right and i know that you were also a canto mundo fellow Right. And then uh, one of the main founders, or I guess the main fellows that are, are running the organization is Norma Cantu, who is like a well-known Chicana, like writer, poet. Um, um, and I can just imagine like when you were talking about like these prompts or being amongst like, other like Chicanas, who were there, you know, and who are maybe not part of the movement, but were definitely influenced maybe a generation afterwards and how, um, you know, the poem that you just shared with us really kind of correlates with that you, you know, it can be, you can be Chicano, you can be Latina in a different sense. And I guess, how how did it feel like to really to be in like, for example, one of those um, organizations like Campo Mundo, you know, and navigating what it is to have like a different Latina or Chicana voice? Than that. Okay, yeah, that's a really great one. Well, I mean, and I think, you know, it's it's about context too, because, you know, in San Antonio, I was always very shy, so I didn't go a lot, you know, I changed later. But when I was younger in San Antonio, I wasn't like out and about going to all the events. So, um, but the, the little contact I had was Trinity University, there were tons of amazing, there's actually tons of amazing Latina mentors at Trinity. Like, it's crazy. Like, if you're looking to figure out what college you want to go to, you know, 
it's really expensive. You'll probably go into debt. I went into debt, but we do have amazing mentors there. Anyway, and right now Norma's there. So if you're looking, definitely go there. Um, um, but she was there after I was there. Anyway, the main point is that the, the Chicano and Chicana poetry that I received from there was very like um, celebratory of the region or, you know, it was very much true to one's culture and an exploration of that culture. And so um, I kind of thought that that was it. You know, I didn't know and I didn't get taught a lot of different kinds of literatures except in my Trinity courses, ironically, even though it's a very white space, that's where I got all my learnings. Um, and so when I went to Cantamula, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Um, but I had read some some writers and, you know, I had read Marcelo Castillo and I had read, gosh, there's so many, uh, Vanessa Villarreal. Um, mm. uh, and then I knew Sarah Borjas from another residency that I went to. And so I knew that people were doing work that either it was all mixed together. You know, it's a little bit about the culture, it's a little bit about just love, or it was about whatever it was. And so when I went there, I was a little nervous because I was, <laughs> I don't know, you know, A, if I'm cool enough since I was kind of shy for a while, if I'm with it. Um, but it, honestly, it was, there was nothing to be nervous about because it was so amazing to see how many different people from, I mean, Latin America is a big, big that's almost it it's a big and <laughs> there's all sorts of different cultural identities from within that so my favorite part was just listening to people's different accents uh reading the references that even i didn't understand because maybe they were cuban or maybe they were puerto rican or whatever it was and so it really felt like this transnational um movement of voices that has been collecting for a long time. This is the first time that with social media, there's been a democratization of access. And so being in those spaces like, well, we've all been here. The only difference is that before we were not published. Mm. You know, but we're all here. Some of us are writing, you know, if we're chefs, like there's those chefs that make like food, food into foam. You know, those chefs that like yeah. do the foam <laughs> thing. Like there's, you know, there's Latina writers who write like that. And then yeah. they write like, you know, you're at home, you're having, you're having a nice dinner and they write like that, you know? And so there's just a beautiful range of aesthetic possibilities. No, absolutely. I know, it's like in your words, um, that is delicious. I wanna say delicious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we actually got a comment that I wanna share because it was really good. Beautiful poem from Mary Shakespeare, beautiful poem. I hope someday my girls who are half Mexican and Liberian could find the beauty, heritage and stories in both languages as well. So yes, I think you key into something really interesting too because um, going to Canto Mundo in a space where it's, it's like you said, like transnational and there's absolutely an amazing transnational movement of Latino, Latinx, uh, uh, poetics and academics and, and such, um, uh, uh, just kind of becoming more into, breaking into the zeitgeist, I guess, um, and breaking into the publishing. Um, but there's, I think what's also different from, as opposed to previous generations is like, speaking to your poem is like knowing Spanish and knowing certain parts of the culture was also a way of sort of qualifying brownness. And I don't necessarily see that so much anymore. Um, but I think it's to your point, like it's because we all kind of, our own family histories now extend past just our cultural histories where you, ha you have Latinos in Detroit because they had to work over there. You had people in Seattle and stuff. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but I think it was just, yeah, it was just more or less to say, like, I completely agree with what you're saying. And and I think Spanish as a, a, a root uh, is not necessarily the qualifier that it used to be where, where now you have poets such as yourself who can talk about sushi and Houston life and tw the movie Twister, which is an amazing movie, by the way. Yay. Well, yeah. And that reminds me, you know, I, again, context, because, you know, when poets were, were, they wanted to create almost like a story around brownness. And I think part of that was because it was a completely different lifestyle decade. And I think in our parents and grandparents' generation, it depends, you know, depends on when, you know, if you have an immigrant family, when they immigrated to 
America or it depends like the United States, um, or it depends on just you know skin tone and kind of the the kind of like prejudice that can come from that. But I think a lot of the that generation that was writing about brownness was trying to be like, you know what, I'm going to write about this and you cannot stop me from writing about it because they weren't getting published anywhere, you know, and they had to create their own journals or they had to create their own ways in the world. And I think, you know, maybe, you know, I kind of think that when we write, we're not really writing alone, we're writing as a collective. And it's going to sound like really woo woo, but I really think that we affect each other. And so if there's commonalities in what we're interested in, that's because our experiences have commonalities. And so for the other, the other generation, you know, a big thing in common was not being the same. Big thing in common might be getting prejudice for skin color, not getting into restaurants. You know, there's a strong history of mistreatment. So, you know, it, for the ones of us who are like in our little family homes, you know, just hearing the stories, it's a different kind of, a different kind of literature. Yeah. I definitely also wanted to like kind of note that, you know, I think now when we think about Latine or Latinx um, literature, it's not just in the scope of brownness, because that's what a lot of people have been challenging, that it's like, when you say brownness, you're also excluding like Afro-Latinas and the blackness within it too. So I think there's more, even more conversations of like, it's not black or brown, it's just, it's black and brown or, you know, it's indigenous too. Um, and I think that's why, you know, your poetry is also like challenging those notions that it can't just be one super man, you know, narrative, we're not a monolith. Um, and so it's, it's the same thing with our color. Our color is not just one color, it's just, have a vibrancy of different different backgrounds and histories. So, yeah, and also economic experience too. Mm -hmm. and, um, I don't know. There's just so many ways in which social inequities impact experience. And what you know, I think I don't know. I was always attracted to poetry for its ability to take you into someone else's heart and mind. Just for a moment, and even if you didn't share their experience something in what they said resonated with you. Mm. And it just creates this, it kind of opens a door. Um, I think of it similarly to when you, you hear a story from someone you're kind of maybe judging because they're different from you and you hear a story from them and you go, oh, I didn't expect that you grew up in poverty. Didn't know that. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's, there's layers to our human experience. And so I love celebrating. And I love, yeah. I love the poems that are like, hey, you should respect my culture and you need to uh, get with the times. Like I, I love and honor and celebrate those poems as well. Yeah. Different way of navigating it. I do, I do. I think it's just, you know, um, for, for whatever, you know, everyone's opinion is. Um, so I've been right now just reading um, the Brief and Wonders Life of Oscar Wilde. And, you know, we have our discussions about Diaz and his his behavior and where is that in line. But I think, you know, it's been really researched in contemporary Latine like literature because it's not that typical narrative, just like you're writing, right? It's not this immigrant narrative. It basically jumps around with different vignettes and but also center centralizes this US American experience. And that's where it starts from instead of going back to like the motherland, right? Um, and talking about those different economic differences too. And um, yeah, I think that's what our, our people are about. Like we are not just this, just immigrants or, you know, we, um, we're not starting from the bottom. Like there's so many of us in this, this spectrum. So thank you, you know, for contributing that. Of course. And, and you know, I, I should add too that like, I don't know how y'all are doing on this so let me know, but like, even, even in, like, if, if you're going to write a book about a nerd, you know, which is essentially part of what that book is about. And then for just a poem about a relationship and you don't have any, I just kind of feel like some of that, some of that motherland and some of that history, it comes through anyway, even if it's not super overt. 
like in my work, a lot of it comes through the family attachment. Yes. Which, you know, for someone who's from another culture, they might not have an interrogation of that, right? Mm -hmm. There might not be a big looming mother character, right? Who expands the universe, right? And so if it's kind of like, I feel like part of it is like, if you know, you know, there's a kind of codedness to even some of the stuff that's not directly about something, it's been there. Mm. Like you can't get away from it and it's just a part of you no matter what, but. Mm. No, no, absolutely. Um, Kind of uh, staying on this, but also shifting gears a little bit. I feel like Virgin challenges these notions of like being a Latina and, and sort of the complicated relationship uh, uh, as, as a hyphenated American in the United States. But one other thing that I really feel like it touches on and if, if I'm wrong, let me know, but it's kind of really challenging patriarchy, but more to the point, almost like machismo, because you have some of these poems that really speak about men in these in these challenging ways that are, are great, but you do it with this very subtle touch where it's like you call out shit, but then you also kind of are like, it, you're just kind of showing it for what it is. And I really am fascinated to just kind of see how you feel about what I just said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I took it. I love I love y'all's questions. Um, yeah, I mean, <sighs> let's talk about machismo a little bit. No. Um, you know, it's so hard because I think we all go through some kind of version of trauma. And some of us go through actual, like, you know, trauma label, like, serious stuff. And some of us go through, like, a kind of another version, or I wish there was another word, but we carry things, mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say. And so um, I think, like, part of the book is also about, like, an absent father and what that can do mm -hmm. to kind of the psyche as you're trying to kind of connect with other people. It's always in the back of your head, like, I can't trust this, you know? And so I think that trauma, as a person and as an artist, that was something that I was trying to figure out. And that led to a lot of anger, right? A lot of anger about the different experiences I was having or things that would set me off. But at the same time, as an artist, I also believe in a sense of balance. And like, I feel like if I have a poem that's just like a man-hating poem, which trust me, I have written many, <laughs> right? But what 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 is it gonna, what is it giving back to me? Mm. Aside from like being right, mm. about being like, and this is all like, it depends on your situation. Some people have, you know, some people have violent traumatic situations, and that's kind of not what I'm talking about. I'm kind of talking about like, just being annoyed with men. That's kind of, <laughs> and the way that sometimes they act or, you know, the way that they um, sometimes uh, because of just all the social considerations of masculinity, there is this kind of, I think, air of maybe egotisticalness or air of like, um, you really can't possibly know that much and you're kind of like down here in terms of what you know and then like up here. And that's just like my personal experience of how I navigated some of the situations. But at the same time, it's like, I feel like the poem is almost like a mirror. It's almost like the, not the Harry Potter mirror where he sees his parents, but like a different kind of truth mirror mm. where a truly great poem is going to show you all the sides of yourself, the good stuff and the bad stuff or the stuff you didn't even know was in there. Um, like some of these poems I discovered that I was angrier than I even thought I was. Um, and some of them I discovered that like, oh, you know, gosh, maybe this wasn't about the men. Maybe this was about my own level of like uh, distance. You know, maybe there was something like that. Like I was, maybe I was attracting people because I was distant and I didn't really believe I could trust them. Therefore I was attracting all the untrustworthy ones. Right. Mm -hmm. So I guess all that to say, like, I, I do firmly believe that we should be talking about stuff that we, we feel like we can't talk about. And one of those things that I wanted to talk about was how, how men sometimes treat women, you know, mm -hmm. um, and how in history, not that much has changed. Like there's one poem where, I forgot what it is, but it's talking about um, 
where men still love girls, but rarely admit it. Mm. And, you know, there's some Victorian elements to the poet poems, and part of that is about that. It's about, yeah, we're making some progress, but there's still this thread here. There's still a way in which the innocent or the angel in the house of Victorian times has persisted and has become a part of my culture somehow. You know, like that has led to this like virginal whatever. Um, and so anyway, if you're writing out there or something like that, like I don't do with this what you will, it may not work for you. But for me, if I'm writing the poem and I've already decided who I want to be in the poem, then it's not going to be good. And if I'm writing a poem and I don't know what's going to happen and I might not look good and my grandma might not like the poem and my mom might not even talk about it. But at the end, if I've done something like different than that, I'm surprised, then it's art. So that's just how I see it. And, absolutely. And, and in a way, it's like you in your book in particular, in a way that I haven't really seen. So like kudos to you. Um, is like you talked about it in a kind of like, especially machismo and sort of like portray men behaving badly in a way that I have seen as well, where it's like, it's kind of like a, the open secret. Like everyone knows that like grandpa's got secret families, but we don't talk about it. Or that the guy at the barbecue is like kissing some other guy's fiance, but you know, hey, they were drinking Bud Light and you know, yeah. relax. And and it's, it's this really fascinating uh, 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 sort of, display of it in in I guess the what I would attribute it to is like uh, like the poet Naomi Shabnai who I'm a humongous fan of where it's like it, uh, she's the best and like it's just it's that subtleness where it, it 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 it's it's attractive in the sense of like I gotta go back to that like what it it, it, it raises more questions and is more fancy uh uh fascinating and it's a, it's a different way of challenge challenging it as opposed to just kind of like putting it all on a plate and being like this machismo shit is bad, you know? So yeah, totally. Yeah, I take that. I love, I do love subtlety. And I think that's a thing too. Like we're talking about foam, foam poets versus <laughs> uh, everyday food poets. But I think um, subtlety is not for everyone. Like for me, I love it. You know, I love getting into the details of it and like the contradictions. Like what if in a poem someone behaves extremely badly and then they save like an elderly woman from falling down on the street? Like what do you do with that kind of complexity of human life? Right. You know? Like none of us are perfect um, and some things need to change at the same time. So. Totally, totally. Um, well, we appreciate you so much for being here. Let's let's um, kind of just, if you could, please end us with one more piece. Um, Thank you. I, I, I'll read this poem. Okay, speaking of kind of trying to write something where you might not look good in it and seeing what happens, I wrote this poem. Can I can I use curse words on this? Oh, of course. That's why we have words and shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I don't I don't know. Okay. Um, so it's called Bitch Instinct. Um, and when I when I started writing this poem, I was kind of thinking about I don't know what I was thinking about. I was like trying. Thank you. Thank great. you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. And uh, thank you just so much for being on, on the show. Annalisa, we really enjoyed having you so much. Uh, for all the audience members who are here, you can follow on social media, uh, Tip the Poet as well. Um, if you have any questions about merch booking and more, AnnaliseSotelo.com. Uh, thank you so much. We greatly are happy that you came through. Thank you so much. Amazing questions. I love this that you've created and I appreciate it. No, no Not problem. A problem. Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Totally. All right. And Raquel, how do you feel? Oh, Bruce. Bruce Drewster. <laughs> that was um, great. <laughs> that was that was really great. No, I really enjoyed myself. Um, I always really love speaking to new poets that you know I'm not quite familiar with and really getting to know them. I think that's the whole platform um, of words and shit is to get to know the poets. Um, as Kibi would say, get to know the person behind the poetry, right? Um, I feel 
you know, I always really love speaking to other Latina um, writers and poets. It's just, there's a different way of relating to them, um, kind of feeling like home. Um, and I think this generation or, you know, I think the term Spy Kids generation with Alexa Vega uh, really hit home for me. And with that negotiation of like identity as being born in the United States and still being Latina and creating this narrative that's different, you know, compared to what oh, we've been used to or what we've been reading in academia or in the past. So that's very right. hard. No, absolutely. It was a great, great time. Uh, and with that, that concludes the show. Let's pay some bills. Rocky, thank you to the audience. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you to the audience. Um, and if you want to follow us on IG or Twitter, it's at words and Okay. And be sure that if you have missed any episodes, you can always watch past episodes on YouTube or podcast, which is on every basic major streaming service. Mm-hmm. And what's going on next week? Oh my goodness, next week. Uh, we can come back to next week, same time, same place. Um, it's going to be a little different. It's going to be a little surprise for you. Uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be live somewhere. I mean, we're already live, but like live, live. Um, so just got to check us out because it's going to be a special show. And, you know, you'll just have to figure out where Chibi is going to be for the show. Absolutely. Well, thank you to everyone who came out. Thank you, Raquel, for uh, indulging me as Chibi's fill-in. That was great. You did really great. You did good. Much appreciated. Y'all be great. All right. Bye, y'all. Be safe.